If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago while I was on vacation at the beginning of the summer, I began to just really uh, home, zero in on and look at the, the, the miracles of Jesus and how his miracles, as the Bible calls them, signs and wonders, they point to something. They're signs that point. Like, for instance, that exit door right there, the exit sign is not the door. It's just pointing towards where the door is. And I've learned in my spiritual life, and perhaps you have too, that expectancy is incredibly important when it comes to our spiritual lives. Like, I really want you, when you come into the house of the Lord, when you come to Christian Center Church, I want you to walk through those doors expecting God to meet you right there where you are. Amen? But the signs and the wonders weren't just done. They were done not just for to be recorded. And remember the Bible says that if everything that Jesus did was recorded, all the libraries in the world couldn't have held it. He did so much. But we see the miracles that Jesus, that Jesus did that, that the disciples decided to put into the Gospels and to show us not just God's power, but who God is. How many would say, I want to know God better than I did last week or year before or 10 years ago? Well, the, the, the miracles that are recorded are great opportunities for us not just to see God's power as they did those who were present there that day but also to point to a a part of his character and I was planning on doing water to wine today and I got to study in and had it had I've got about three of these miracles kind of sketched out we actually touched on one Wednesday night with blind Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus Jesus son of David have mercy on me and the thought there was simply that the more desperate that we can become, because God meets desperation with power. I'll tell you that. So when we really dig in and get desperate for Him and cry out to Him, we see God meet us in a really profound way. I see all throughout the Word of God in Scripture in many occasions where Jesus would even say something to somebody that may appear offensive, and Jesus certainly wasn't trying to necessarily offend them. He was trying to get them to a place where where they were looking to him as their only source and their only way that could come through, and Jesus always comes through. Amen? So with that in mind, look at Luke 8. We're going to study these for the next few weeks and uh, see what God would speak to us. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It's quite lengthy, so just follow along with me in your Bible. And today I want to talk about how we kind of are told throughout life, don't touch that, right? Growing up as a kid, you ever hear your parents say, don't touch that, right? Don't touch that stove, right? Don't touch those crumbs that are on the ground. Don't touch the wet paint, come on. Don't touch those wires sticking out of the wall. Don't touch the big blue men in the urinal, come on. Amen? But life in the world is filled with things that we're told not to touch. And I want to show you today that even though it may have appeared that, that people couldn't approach and touch God, touch Jesus, that Jesus was actually waiting for somebody to, by faith, church, by faith, pull power and virtue out of Jesus. We're going to look at that today. Here in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. 
As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were waiting and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Father, as always for these next few minutes and moments, as we come reverently to your word today, God, we pray that there would be an anointing on the word of God that goes forth from the pulpit, that would change hearts today, that would encourage lives, that would challenge us, Lord, that if there are things that, God, we be touching that we shouldn't, that you would give us the spiritual understanding, revelation, and conviction, God, to let go of that. Father, if there be needs in the house, that somebody needs to lay hold of you today and touch the hem of your garment, Lord, we know your power is here and your power is available to those who believe. Father, raise the level of faith today and let us touch the hem of your garment. Give us understanding of what you want said today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen. These people were waiting. These people were expecting. These people were gathered, waiting to see, get a glimpse, get a little touch, get a little, get a little understanding of this name Jesus that they perhaps had heard about and the miracles that were going on and the crowds that were gathering And the people that were beginning to follow Jesus, his close disciples, they were gathered because they wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. And we're told all throughout life, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. And the story in Luke 8 stands out because this is a story of a large crowd of people who all came to touch Jesus. So you have three elements here in this story. You had a crowd that came to touch Jesus. You had a father that came to touch Jesus. And then you had a woman who came to touch Jesus. And what stands out to me in this story, and I want to point this out, are the two people who got the most out of the power of God that was available and present that day were two people that probably should have never been touching Jesus. And we say that, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. In verse 40, the very first people who were introduced to him was an expectant crowd. Everybody say expectant. Now, you've heard me say this, and I'll say it many more times. I encourage you, when you come to the house of God, or even when you wake up in the morning, you begin to expect that God is going to meet you that day. You begin to expect that God has something for you individually and personally. And he's, he, I mean, how many wake up and just say, God, I need your help today. I don't even know what's ahead, but you know. So there's a crowd that's gathered there. 
And they were expectant. But I'm afraid that we have made in the church expectancy the height of our spiritual experience. Because expectancy, church, will always produce the opportunity to be in His presence. But expectancy alone is not enough to gain access to His power. Because expectancy is a door... And a door is a great place, it's a great thing to see and a great thing to go through, but many people stay on the other side of the door and they never experience His power. This is more important than what you realize because people come to church with an expectancy that God is going to be there. And guess what? God is there. Amen? They come with an expectancy that they're going to experience. The crowd that was there that day were expectant because they knew Jesus was coming up the road. They could perhaps see the dust in the distance and the people beginning to shout and beginning to, to, to whisper amongst themselves, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And in the same way, when we gather together corporately, and this is in our individual lives certainly, but even more so as we come together corporately, that we can have an expectation of God because what we have done in our Christianity, and God wants to deal with this in our Christianity, is because we have made Christianity very superficial instead of very supernatural, church. Because again, expectancy is a great place to start, but it is not the best place to end because God has a miracle for us. God has a new place for us. You see, expecting opens the door, but I have found there's no guarantee that you will ever step into the more. Because it's the door and not the destination. So you had an expectant crowd, but there were only two amongst that crowd that were able to access what Jesus desired to do. And I want to paint this picture for you because we kind of get, you know, the idea of just a small crowd. I mean, the idea that's painted in the, in the Gospels and other Mark and Matthew is stories told in several different places. But the idea that we simply get was that this was a huge crowd. There would have been a thronging crowd. There would have been pressed in. And even to the point where Peter's like, Lord, they're, they're almost crushing you here. That's how hungry people were. And I, I, I've said this before too. When you come to church, come expecting and come hungry. But I'm afraid that we come expecting and we come hungry and we leave in the same condition that we came in Because there's something that God wants to release in your life and in your heart. And that's called faith that God will do what He said He would do. He's a faithful God. And in this story, there's only two people that leave having accessed His power. Everybody say power. God is a powerful God. God is a miracle working God. He's a God of signs and wonders. But oftentimes we treat even the signs and wonders as just an answer to prayer when it's always supposed to point back to the nature of God and who He is. I want to encourage you, don't search for the miracle, search for Jesus. Because in this story, there was an expectant crowd. They knew Jesus could do miracles. They knew He could could move mountains. They knew He could raise the dead. They knew that He was powerful. But only two really touched Him. Which leads me to a question I want to ask you this morning. Are we content with having a superficial experience with Jesus? I'm afraid most in the church are. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I feel led to say this in this moment. A superficial relationship with Jesus is not going to get you through the days that are ahead. You say, oh, you, and listen, this pulpit is no place for fear mongering. If you come to this church for any length of time, this pulpit is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your pastor treats it with reverence and respect and honor. And I preach the gospel, which is the good news is if you're saved and on your way to heaven, there's nothing this old world can do to you anyway. Amen. 
But I'm afraid that if we, if we allow our, our belief in our Christianity to be superficial and surface, it is not going to be enough to, for the days ahead when perhaps Christians in this very country will be persecuted. For t- in other words, the world is calling a siren song to the church. Listen, you can't beat us, so you might as well join us. I've got no desire to beat the world. That's Jesus' job. I want to love, serve, and, and honor Him, even if it costs me something. Because superficial Christians... In other words, the crowd, there was always crowds around Jesus... And Jesus would, would move in a little closer on them and say, Hey, I know the loaves and fishes were great, and you enjoyed that. And we enjoy the loaves and fishes of coming together and singing and hearing the Word of God. And I love that. I love that you're here this morning. But He would turn to them occasionally and say, Oh, by the way, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you can't follow me anymore. And it says in John six sixty six that many turned away. Because he was calling them to a deeper level of commitment and relationship. If you want to know what I believe the Holy Ghost is speaking to this church and to the church corporately worldwide, even though believers in China don't need to be reminded of this, believers in Iran don't need to be reminded of this, believers in countries that are under persecution don't need to be reminded of this, but listen to me, it costs something to follow Jesus. I didn't say it calls something to be saved and on your way to heaven. That is called a free gift that's earned by you believing that Jesus was the propitiation for your sin. But then we begin our journey with Him and sometimes we get in a place where not only do we want to touch Jesus, and that's good. I want expectancy and saying, Jesus, I need to touch you this morning. But what happens when Jesus wants to touch a few things in your life? Hey, let's, let's deal with this pornography issue in your life. Hey, let, let's deal with the greed in your life. Hey, let's deal with that work relationship that's starting to get a little out of bounds and you're just flirting with fire right there. Is it, see, we'd love to touch Jesus, but what happens when Jesus begins to touch something inside of us? There's times that Jesus wants to come along and says, hey, this is, this is out of order. Because the people who will not touch Him and allow Him to touch them and change some things in your life, because the gospel is not just you're saved and on your way to heaven. The gospel is God now has given you power and grace to overcome the sin issues in your life. Amen. Grace is a power word. It's not a passive word. Don't touch. So what's our reaction when instead of us touching him, he comes and touches some things in our lives? He says, hey, what about this area of addiction in your life? What about this area over here? Contentment with where you are spiritually this morning is a cancer that eats away at your soul. I said it Wednesday, and I've been leading up to this, but I've said it a lot lately. And I've said it a lot in my years here. Because I'll say it again, I have no desire to pastor a church that's only going to stay here, I want to go here with Jesus. And then I want to go here with Jesus. I'm talking about crowds. I'm not concerned about crowds because as we see in the story, the crowds are just crowds. There's something in the season that we're in where Jesus wants to, and I mentioned it in the beginning, it's because these are signs. It's pointing to God's power. It's pointing to God's ability to change any situation in your life this morning. But what happens when we get that answer to prayer? Sometimes we wander off and say, well, I'll go back to my life, right? 
When Jesus is calling us to a deeper level of, of following him, of commitment to him, of, of pursuing him, because spiritual contentment will stop you from having everything God desires for you. I don't want to be content where I'm at. I want more. Amen. More, more of him. There's a holy God birth dissatisfaction with the way things presently are spiritual. And there's a people raising up in this season and time that's saying, God, we desire more of you. Lord, I've come to let you touch me. And God, I want to touch and lay hold of you this morning. So the first people we're introduced to in this passage is a group of people who were content to be around Jesus. And that's it. If you find yourself in that place this morning, this isn't condemnation. It is a a call to you to say there's another place. The next person we are introduced to is a desperate father who shouldn't touch Jesus. In the midst of this crowd, Jesus is on his way through the town. And we see in the story a synagogue leader by the name of Jairus that comes along. And Mark tells us four times in his gospel. Luke tells us three times in his. So it tells me it's a very important element of the story that the writers were trying to get across to the people they were witnessing to of what they both began to see and to hear and to witness from Jesus, according to Luke in the first part of Acts. There's a man named Jairus, Jairus, and the writers wanted to be, be clear. This didn't make sense. In the crowd to have a Jewish synagogue religious leader come. I'm, I'm talking, you know, the robes, the press. In other words, this would have been the pastor of the day. This would have been the, the, the spiritual leader. This would have been the one everybody else is looking up to. This is the one that everybody else is looking to. And it would have been beneath him to come and fall at the feet Because, listen, when we can finally, spiritually speaking, whether you have kids or not, but this is especially to parents this morning, when you can, spiritually speaking, lay aside your pride and fall at the feet of Jesus, because this man let go of his title as, as the religious spiritual leader, and he just became a father again. Are you hearing me this morning? Why? Because there was about to be an entire generation lost in his house if he didn't take the role of a father and just throw himself at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, we need you to come to this house. Jesus, I need you in my house. My religious title and my religious, all my learning and all the things that I've memorized throughout my entire life and have been able to teach people. Sometimes we have to let go of our spiritual pride that says we know it all and we haven't had all the experiences with God that we're going to have. And sometimes the best thing you can do, parent, is just go through yourself at the feet of Jesus. Again, when I study the miracles, which I did for those weeks of just reading them and thinking about them, there's a common element that I find in every single one of them. Everybody got up to a certain point. The woman who came to Jesus and was like, Jesus, I need this miracle from you. And she's a Gentile. And Jesus offended her. He says, it's not good to give the meat meat to to the dogs. She said, yeah, but even the dogs get a crumb from the table. He said, ha, faith. You know where God wants to find you this morning is in the faith zone. 
that even if you're about to lose something, see church, we are going to lose an entire generation unless we have some spiritual mothers and fathers in the house of God that will throw themselves down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, we're not going to let this generation be taken by the enemy and for his purposes. We're going to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, visit our house. Let me just tell you a little bit about what God's doing in the schools. Because I have kids in school. My daughter told me just last week, she said, there was, she, said, she said, I'm having a Bible study at lunch. I bring my Bible and I tell all my friends and the kids come. So other ones have begun to be spring up. She walked by one of the rooms and one of the young, one of the young people was, was, was in there with the football players. And he's preaching to them. Do you understand what God is doing? He's doing what we've prayed for for years. This move of the Holy Spirit last Sunday is not an accident. That is God saying, hey, there's people that are crying out and saying, God, we're not going to let the enemy steal our kids. I said it two weeks ago, or last week, if if, if the devil wants to get the next generation, he should have to go through the church. But we have become so weak-kneed and wimpy and afraid of offending anybody with the truth of God's Word... And listen, God's word does not need to be defended by me or anybody else in this room. It's like a lion that you just let out of the cage, church. And it defends itself. So just preach God's word and quit watering it down so that it's consumable by everybody out there. Because I'm telling you this morning, there's a crowd that's content just to get a glimpse of Jesus. But I don't want just a glimpse. I want it all. And I don't just want it all for myself. I want Him to raise from the dead a generation that the enemy thought that He had. And He thought that He could take a hold of. But God's putting His hand on them, church. God's filling them with it. And they may not look like you look. And they may not talk like you talk. And they may not... Oh, boy. I'm like, God, there's no hope. God loves desperate situations because Christianity has nothing to offer for people who have no problems. And we have a huge problem in this culture of the United States of America that we're living in. I did not even plan on saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We have a huge problem in the culture today because we as a church want to see how close we could be and act like the world And we've lost salt and we've lost light. And the reason that I preached the way I did two weeks ago and told you all that there is no us and them. It's just we. We're all in the same boat. We're sinners apart from a holy God that Jesus said, My blood, if you'll receive it, will wash you clean and set you straight and fill you up. Because we always have to have the foundation. What I'm preaching to you today is not saying that, that, that... It's not saying that I condemn everybody else out there. It says that's who I was before I met Jesus. But we've been so concerned, we've forgotten to throw ourselves at the... And listen, it is Jesus that can can reach this, this next generation. It's done with the heart of a father. It's done with the heart of a mother just to throw... He shouldn't have touched Jesus because he was too prim and proper. He was too... No, what, well, everybody's going to know that. You see, religion wasn't going to change and raise his daughter up from sickness. And we get so religious, we get so 
so buttoned up. And we forget sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do when you're in a situation in your family, and my wife and I have done it many times, is Jesus, help! I mean, those days when I wake up and I want to be on top of the world and the world's on top of me. You ever been there? I'm like, Lord, I'm losing as a pastor. I'm losing as a father. I'm losing as a husband. I'm losing in this area. I'm losing in that one. Jesus, have mercy on me. And God, help me. And listen, God answers those prayers, church. Those prayers of honest, heartfelt God. I didn't think I'd end up in this place. And he didn't think he'd end up in this place. He's He's a Jew of Jews. He's a synagogue leader. He's a religious leader. But yet, my kid is sick. In church, we have a sick generation. Because they've been, only been offered one viewpoint of the world. And it's a viewpoint that has been loosed from hell itself. Hell itself. And we've just retreated and said, well, if the world wants to just go... Listen, I believe that Jesus died for everybody I run into every single day of my life. Don't believe in limited atonement. I believe that Jesus died once for all. Now, there are many that will not ever make that confession of faith and ever decide to lay everything down and follow him with all their heart. And make no mistake about it, that's what following Jesus is. It's laying yourself down and say, Jesus, we need you. It's saying, I'm not about to lose a generation in my household So I have no other choice but to find Jesus. So you had the crowd and they were content with expecting Jesus to do something great. I want to encourage you to this while I'm, it just came to me while I'm standing here. I want to encourage you to this. We come to church and we expect God to to move on that person and to bless that person. And he, He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to do something powerful in your life. This man was about to lose the next generation in his household. And it's much the same today. There is a generation that can get sick and die in the house if we as the spiritual mothers and fathers don't come to a place where it's not better programs and it's not better, it's not better stuff or lights or music, any of those kind of things. It is literally crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, save this generation. He's saying, Jairus is throwing himself at Jesus, says, Jesus, you've got to come to our house. That may be your house individually. That may be the house corporately, a Christian center church. So Jesus is coming back to the house, and it's here we're introduced to a third person in the story. And it's a woman who is also here in the crowd. And here's what we're told about her. She had spent all that she had on doctors. She had exhausted all of her resources and had nothing left at all. Hopeless, that was her. Broke, that was her. Broken, that was certainly her. And it says, for 12 long years, she has suffered, the Bible says, with a flow of blood. Unclean for 12 years. And remember something very important about Jewish law. Jewish law said that anybody that had an issue of blood, a flow of blood would be considered unclean. And it it goes over into other areas like lepers. When lepers would come into a town, they would have to announce a word in the Hebrew that was called temei, 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 temei. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Which meant if she had an issue of blood for 12 years, it meant that the, the, the Jewish priest would have given her a writ of divorce So, because her husband couldn't touch her. So, a woman that was broke, broken, and defeated, 
And without anything, because she had spent all that she had on doctors trying to help her, is there in the crowd. You have Jairus comes, and, and again, nobody would have expected this. This was, this was mentioned in Mark and Luke so many times that this was a religious leader, and he comes and humbles himself. Can I tell you how to get access to the power of God? Humble yourself. Amen. That's really it. And then she is in the crowd. She's been dealing with an issue of blood for 12 years, which means nobody has touched her. Nobody has hugged her. Nobody has loved on her. It is somebody that everybody else will look at and said, unclean, stay away, stay away, stay away. And it says there in the scripture that she came up behind Jesus. Now I thought to myself, why? Maybe that was her only access to get near him. Maybe so many people in front of him. Maybe the situation with Jairus as he stopped and, and talking to Jairus, he, he, she comes up. I believe that, that she came up from behind him because she was afraid he would turn and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. There's something powerful. And I'm, next week we're going to do the water to wine. In the, in the water to wine that I'm going to teach on next week, it was it was ritual water pots where people just wash their dirty hands. One thing that you'll see is a sign and a wonder that are recorded in the Bible to point us to God's power for us that's available and to point us to who God is. That's what God wanted to show them, who your God is. This is Jesus said very clearly, he said, show us the Father. He's like, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father and I are one, right? Yeah. But one thing that stands out in all these are people or situations or even the water pots and all these things that people thought, well, I, I can't touch Jesus because I'm too unclean. Can I tell you, he's not afraid of your dirt. He's not afraid of her condition. He's, he's not scared of that. We see that when he cleansed the lepers. Lord, if you're willing, and he says, I'm willing, and lays hands on them. Jesus wasn't scared of any of that. And she would say this as she came into town. Teme, teme, teme. But here's what I found in my life. Because everyone in this room, because what did she have? She had something hidden away. She didn't want anybody else to know about. And everybody in this room has a secret place we hide away from God that we believe two lies from the enemy. Listen to this. If you don't listen to anything else I just said, or anything else I'm going to say for the rest of the sermon, listen to this. We all have places that we hide away from God when we're facing something that's insurmountable. And we say this, this is the enemy speaking to you when you hear this in your mind. Either he can't or he won't do anything about this. Either he can't, that's what had to be going through her mind as she's coming up behind Jesus. And in her mind, you see the battle that she had to win was the battle that the enemy was constantly there in her mind shooting arrows of accusation. You don't deserve this. You're unclean. You don't, you don't deserve anything from God. You don't deserve anything from Him. You need to get out of this crowd. You're not even supposed to be here anyway. You should be outside of the town declaring to everybody, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Can I tell you who God calls to come near Him? Are the unclean. Because it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. But for too long in our churches, we have patted you on the head and say it's okay to remain sick. It's not. You are saying to yourself, I don't think, I'm not sure if God can or I don't believe that He will do something about this. But you do not, you do not have a God who stands afar off. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Listen, we have a high priest that can be touched. 
He's accessible. You can reach Him. You don't need special people in the church to reach Him. You don't need to call me and say, Pastor, can you reach Him? God wants you to reach out and touch the hem of His garment this morning. You can't stop me from reaching God. Come on. He can be touched by the feeling of our infirmity, church. And and can I tell you this? What I found is He's really the only one that really deeply knows how you feel about that situation. He's the only one that really truly knows when you do wake up and you feel like, God, I'm losing in this area and I feel like I'm losing in that area. She had to feel that way for 12 years. And can I tell you what I believe the secret for her was? This is not deep, but I think it'll help you. She just didn't give up. When she was told you're too unclean, you're too... You may have been told you're, you're too sick for God to do anything. You're too addicted for God to deliver you. You can't pray as eloquently as the people around you. You can't memorize as many scriptures as they can. Listen, I'm talking this morning about the human spirit. My grandfather told me years ago when he was discipling me, he said, Jason, God wired us to live. Is anybody visited with somebody that's just absolutely eaten up with cancer and they're determined, I'm going to live? Anybody? I saw this in my grandfather's life, and it really confused me. I share a lot about him, but let me share this. It really confused me because I saw a man serve God 43 years full-time in the ministry, drive tens of thousands of miles, ministering to pastors the last 10, 15 years of his life, right about the time he got into the age of life where he was going to retire and enjoy some things. He, came, he got, uh, I don't know if it's something you get, I'm not even sure how, congestive heart failure. So he became very sick. They told him when they diagnosed him with it, they said, you've got this certain amount part of your heart that's still functioning and you've got most two years well in those two years my grandmother got Alzheimer's he just looked me right in the eye and he said Jason I'll go when God says he lived six years for one reason he wanted to take care of my grandmother listen there's something powerful about just the human spirit There's something powerful about a person that just refuses to give up. I honor this woman in the Word today. And on the other side, when I, bless the Lord, get to heaven, I look forward to meeting people like her and say, Hey, you didn't give up. And I want to encourage you here today. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do is just keep standing where God told you to stand and keep believing that, yeah, today was bad and the week before. Twelve years! Twelve years. But she had one thing that would be very easy for us to ask God for is just a spirit to say, I'm not going to give up. Amen. Just simply didn't give up. Sheer will. You know, if the, if the human spirit is that strong, well, imagine what happens when you add the holy. Come on. This man you see standing in front of you did not make it here standing in front of you today because I'm eloquent, because I'm the smartest, because I'm I'm the nicest. My wife would agree this morning. (laughs) It's something I learned all the way back in high school when I worked so hard. I was not a natural athlete. I was not a good athlete. I know it doesn't look like it seeing me stand here today (laughs) because... I mean, you're like, man, you just got high-level athlete written all over you. Surprise. I was uncoordinated. I was born with a club, two club feet. So my Achilles heel is too short, doesn't touch the ground. 
was going to have surgery, but I wanted to play football. I'd have been in a cast for eight months. They cut it, and they stretch it, and they tie it. None of that sounded cool to me. I want to go to prom and dance a little bit. And in football, my junior year, sophomore, junior year, but we're in a game. It was the second game of the season. I was on special teams. And everything was telling me, you're working too hard. It's too hot. Just give up. And in one of the games, the guy that I was second string, and there was a guy ahead of me at cornerback, and he got hurt. I was a sophomore. He got hurt. And I was ready. I mean, I put my helmet on, cinched it up. This was a Sims Valley in southern Ohio. These, these dudes had full beards, y'all. I, I'm like, you're 30. You're 30. I want to see some birth certificate. You're 30. There's no way that you're 17, 18. You're, no way. These big old farm, Appalachian farm boys. And I was expecting to go in, and the coach looked around, and he called a freshman said, you go in. And here's the thing, he played pretty well. But I started to get, what, what do we do when we don't get what we want? You start to stew. You start to get upset. You know, if you treat life that way, when God does pass by, you're going to miss him. Because you're so busy sitting in your own little room of, of stewing and dysfunction. And, and I, well, nobody cares about me. And nobody. It's the Eeyore syndrome. And I became Eeyore in that moment. Oh, blah, blah. I'm going to walk back home. I don't even ride the bus. <laughs> and then about a half a quarter later, he got hurt. There's nothing like being told, there ain't nobody else, brother. Get in, right? <laughs> it's like they were sizing up the water boy. Can he put pads on? Like, man, am I that bad? Listen to me, and I'm being dead serious when I tell you this. This woman had to have had an attitude of, I'm not giving up. Because you never know when your number is going to be called. You never know when that opportunity of Jesus coming by and you can touch him by faith. It may not be right now, it may not be next week, but the thing that you've been believing God for, I want to encourage you, keep believing God. And listen, they were like, go, you go in. And in that moment when I'm stepping on the field and running out, I made the decision of simply this, I'm going to do the absolute best that I can with this opportunity that I've been given. And within the next quarter and a half, I intercepted the ball two times. I put their quarterback and their running back out of the game. Yeah. You're like, you're glorifying violence. I don't know. I'm just telling you what happened. I didn't kill them. I just made sure they weren't running the ball anymore because they were killing us. And I just said, you know what? This is my shot. I was all over that field. And guess what? I never came off the field for the next two and a half years. And, and listen, a, a young man, a young man who really has no, no natural athletic ability succeeded to become uh, honorable mention All-State my senior year because I didn't give up. Amen. Some of you, this woman just simply wouldn't give up. And there's a powerful principle there. I think of people like, well, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, the church of Ephesus. Church of Ephesus, as we read Ephesians, Paul said that he wrestled the beasts of Ephesus. Now, that could have been a, a governmental leader. I, th- I think it was in the spiritual. I think he had, to, he had to fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, Ephesus was evidently a very strong place of spiritual warfare. And he's... 
in Revelation 2, verse 1, Jesus clearly says, He says, listen, you have not given up. And He commends them for something as simple as not giving up. I think of my distant relative, Abraham Lincoln. He, no, I'm dead serious, y'all. Look at his mom's name. It's Nancy Hanks, y'all. It is. He has quite the biographical sketch. And since I might be related to him, my grandfather said I was. He never lied to me. So, In fact, it reads something like this. In 1832, he lost his job. So he decided to run for state legislator later that year, and he lost. Eleven years later, his business failed. But in 1834, he was elected to the state legislator. In 1835, his sweetheart died. In 1836, he was clinically diagnosed with a nervous breakdown. 1838, he was defeated for Speaker of the House of Representatives in his state. In 1843, he was defeated for a nomination to run for U.S. Congress. But in 1846, he was elected to the U.S. Congress. Then in 1848, he lost his reelection. 1849, they would not even allow him to be the land officer. In 1854, he was defeated for the U.S. Senate. 1856, he was defeated for a nomination to be vice president. 1858, he was defeated for a run for U.S. Senate. But in 1860, he became president of the United States, and the rest is history. And when you read through that and understand that, he had far more failures than he ever had successes. And the woman with the issue of blood is what is telling us that she had been to doctor after doctor and spent everything she had and tried and tried and tried and tried. And a question for you this morning is you've tried everything else. Maybe it's time to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. In Scripture, over and over and over again, as you evaluate the book from Genesis to Revelation... All the way through to the end, there's something clear that sticks out to me. God is attracted to a persevering spirit. Think of Moses. Moses had to go to Pharaoh ten times. And then he gets out into the wilderness. And he's with a million of people, estimated at several million that he's leading out there. And what do they do? They all grumble. And they all complained. There had to be moments where he's like, God, I don't want anything to do with this. But he persevered. You know what perseverance does? He wrote five books of the Bible. We have no idea what our perseverance is writing for our future families and communities and country itself. That we need some people to stand up and have like T-rail in their back and finally get a spine and say, we will fear nothing but God and follow no one but Jesus, and speak nothing but the truth. Daniel. Daniel's one that, hey, we don't like the way that you pray. Daniel said, okay, I'm going to open my window and pray even more. (laughs) So we'll put you in the lion's den. And he does wind up in the lion's den, as we know. Does anybody know how the story ends? It ends with a promotion on the other side. Church, God has a design for you this morning. It's when you do finally stand up and say, I'm going to go all the way through because I trust Jesus. There's promotion on the other side of this. And quitters never win. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad you're not a quitter this morning? Come on, somebody. Just say it. I'm not a quitter. I'm going to go all the way through.
all the way through. Luke, in chapter 21, we're in chapter 8, but in 21 it alludes to the end times. It talks about difficulties that are going to come on the followers of Jesus Christ. And it has to, it, it talks about we are going to have to labor with great spiritual intensity to continue to put one foot in front of the other. The last several years in our culture and in our communities and other places, I said this three years ago, there's a, there's a, there's a dividing that's happening within the church. There's a, there's a dividing that's happening that's God's putting his call out and saying, okay, who's really going to follow me? And, and build, listen to me, build the endurance that is going to be needed for the days that are ahead. I think of Zechariah when God sent him to a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was conscripted and told, you're going to build the temple. It's, it's like God coming to you. And you've, you've decided I'm not going to be in the crowd anymore. I'm going to fight for my family and I'm going to touch Jesus no matter what. I'm going to get desperate about my relationship with God. Because listen, it's in that desperation that's going to build something of endurance in you for the days that are out ahead. He goes to Zerubbabel and he says, and, and, and Zerubbabel felt like we do. He was tasked to, to, to work in the, on the temple. And for 16 years, he felt like he was a complete failure and flop. And Zechariah goes to him, and this is how God does. God will come to you. And God didn't come with a condemnation. Here's what some of you need to understand and hear this morning. God sends Zechariah and he says, Zerubbabel, you're the one that I have called to do this. I'm not going to call anybody else. I'm not going to anoint anybody else. So he begins to line out and say to Zerubbabel, I want you to speak grace, grace over the situation. Worship team, if you'd come, Alexis and Buddy, if you guys would come this morning. And we're going to take this opportunity after our time where we pray and respond. And go ahead and stand this morning. Go ahead and stretch out. We're going to pray for Ginger this morning. Ginger's going to be heading out this week on the mission field. And uh, we're going to have her come right up here in the front. We're just going to gather around here. I told her, meeting with her this past week, one of the best things that you can have in your corner is a praying church. So as I finish today and we call her up front, I want you guys to write her name down, put it in your phone, your little prayer list, whatever it is, to continue, not just pray over her and bless her today and we're going to anoint her today for the work that God's called her for in training for the mission field, but also in the days ahead to continually lift her up. But listen to me as I close this morning. We have a compassionate, loving, heavenly Father that can be touched. And church, it's a great exchange that happens. And that's what we'll talk about in the miracles of of Jesus. The water to wine, there was an exchange from old dirty water to wine. There was an exchange of somebody who had an issue of blood that they could not figure out how to fix. There was an exchange that happened. You see, God is a God of redemption and God's a God who exchanged. God will exchange your mourning for beauty. Your ashes for beauty. Oil of joy for mourning. Healing for sickness. Righteousness for sin. Here's another thing that I see in this passage, and I want to say it this morning. Courage is contagious. Yes. 
Courage is contagious. It took took tremendous courage for this woman to press through and get to Jesus. And not only to get to Jesus, but to continue to believe that things would get better. You know, the same way that negativity and grumbling and complaining is contagious, can I tell you what else is contagious? Courage. People who know who their God is. People who know that He's not afraid of us touching Him and seeing that divine exchange happen. Or if you came in here and you said, I'm just so far away from God. I'm, I'm not only not in the crowd and around Jesus, I'm, so far, I'm in another town. Can I tell you? Jesus is passing by and all you have to do is cry out to Him. There's an exchange that happens. Some of others, matter of fact, bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask this question because this is where I started yesterday and the day before of down the road of, of this sermon today of just, and this is, this is where I've been for a few weeks. For you have need of endurance that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the reward. We have need of endurance. We have need of patience. We have need of Because what God's doing in that season where you're patient and waiting, He's refining your character so that when you get to the place that He desires for you, you have the character to match up with the gifting and calling that He has for you. But how many would say that, man, I've walked in here today, and Pastor, I just just feel like I'm worn out and can't go another step. Would you shoot your hand up? Because I want to pray for you individually. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I knew it. Because we all, even the youth, get tired and faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. Father, in this moment, right here, right now, God, we pray with our whole heart as we stood up Just a moment ago, God, I pray in the Spirit that there would be men and women of God begin to stand up again. God, I'm calling something as deep calls unto deep this morning. I'm calling to those who shot their hand up and just said, wow, I'm so weary. God, would you send from heaven a supernatural strength to their spirit right now? God, you said you would be the lifter of our heads. Lord, would you infuse in them God, just like you did as you sent Zechariah to Zerubbabel, God, we speak grace, grace to this mountain that they may be facing in front of them. God, I pray today that there would be an exchange of sickness for health. There would be an exchange of of ashes for beauty. There would be an exchange of mourning for God's celebration of who you are. Lord, we stretch out with arms of faith like the woman with the issue of blood. And God, we lay hold of the hem of your garment. And God, I pray power would even come forth right now from heaven, Lord. Would come forth, God, and encourage their hearts. Encourage their souls. Father, they would feel a supernatural grace just wash over them right now, Lord. That we would have the spiritual strength to continue to put one foot in front of the other, God. Continue to journey down the road that you have put us on. And Lord, we're reminded of your word to not grow weary in well-doing. That we shall reap if 
We do not lose heart. God, I pray for even an exchange of heart today from one of discouragement to one of faith that believes my God can do anything, Lord. And I want to tell you something, church, this morning. Not only can He do anything, God will. You just have to get near Him enough to throw yourself down at His feet, cry out to Him, touch the hem of His garment, and say, Lord, I don't deserve anything from Your table. But God, I believe. I believe. I believe. I want to ask this next question before we pray for Ginger. Ginger, if you come up here and just stand right here in the middle, I'm going to have folks from the church surround you. Matter of fact, go ahead and do that right now. If anybody would like to come up and just surround her as a symbol, all her family and friends. Ginger's been in this church for several years, and I'm so proud of what God is doing in her life. And I look forward to when she comes back and gets ready to head full-time on the mission field, if the Lord's willing, to see the growth in her. This is a precious woman of God, and we've seen God do so much in her life. And today we're going to, as a church, bless her and send her out. This is like an Antioch church moment where they laid hands on, on Paul. Ginger, I'm not calling you Paul this morning. I love you, but you're not going to write two-thirds of the New Testament, I don't believe. But I do declare in Jesus' name this morning that you are appointed and you are called for such a time as this. Daughter, you have had many opportunities to give up and to go back to the old lifestyle that you came out of. And even though the battle has been fierce and the times have been difficult and hard, God wants you to know this day that His hand is upon you. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. For He has anointed you, Ginger, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to see blind eyes open, to see the lame walk. This proclamation as you go to be trained and you go to minister life and you go to minister the the gospel of Jesus. Father, as her church family, we bless her today, God. We pray today that you would just undergird her with your love and your mercy and grace. God, I pray that when she feels lonely, that Lord, she would feel the prayers of the saints lifting her up. God, when she feels tired, I pray she would feel the prayers of the saints lifting her up. God, I pray when she she feels overwhelmed that you would lead her to the rock that is higher than herself, God. Father, we lay hands on her today and we anoint her with the oil of joy above her companions. And God, I even prophesy over her in Jesus' mighty name that you will give her a spirit that would reach out to these young people, God. Let Let them look to her, Father, as someone who has been stretched as someone who has been through the fire, of someone who has been through the the tough seasons and have come out on the other side promoted, God. Father, as you stretch her, I pray that you would continue to mold and make her into what you want. She is the clay, and God, you are the potter. So, Ginger, as that pressure is applied, as this season that you're going to be heading in might seem overwhelming at times, you remember that you're called and you're anointed and you're appointed. Father, we pray safety over her. Put your mighty warring angels around about her. God, we pray ministering spirits will be loose around her life. That the, the angels of heaven would guard her to the left and to the right and to the front and to the back. And God, we pray up a hedge of protection and we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. That God, until you bring her back at the appointed time, may she be blessed, protected, provided for. 
And God, may the joy of the Lord God himself be her strength, Father. Father, we send her out from here with the blessing of God. May it flow into every single area of her life. Let every flight that she takes be blessed and watched over. And may every place that she puts her foot to be claimed for the kingdom of God. Because beautiful, beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. So Ginger, I want to encourage you and admonish you from the spirit of the living God to open your mouth and preach the word of God. And signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Don't go over there looking for them, but let God follow up the proclamation of his holy word with the the signs and wonders. They will flow. This is so strategic, this season that you're in. God wants you to know that you've grown by increments over the last few years. You're going to grow by leaps and bounds because you have stepped out of the boat and you're beginning to walk on the water. Do not get your eyes upon the waves and the wind. But keep your eyes on Jesus, sister. Father, we as a church body bless her and send her out from here with the covering of Almighty God as the governmental apostolic order that you have placed in this house, Father. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Conrad, if you're ready in the back, can we put our blessing up? How many, how many understand that you are blessed today? Amen. A few weeks ago, we started just saying this. There's power when we speak blessings out of our mouth. So I don't want this to be something we just do on Sunday. Uh, I think we might have some copies of this in the back if you're new or visiting with us and want to take this with you. I want you praying this over your life every single day. Would you guys join me this morning? I am blessed. I am blessed going in. And I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the bowl. And blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. And I'm blessed in the country. My family is blessed. My home is blessed. Everything I put my hand to is blessed. Everywhere I put my foot down is blessed. Those that bless me are blessed. And I am a blessing. Amen. Go and bless somebody today. Love on them. Share the good news that Jesus is risen. Amen. And listen, touch the hem of his garment this week. He's got power.